Hello, welcome to Interdependent Study, our podcast where we engage in the learning and unlearning work for social justice and collective liberation. I'm Aaron. And I'm Damien. Thank you so much for joining us today. For those new to our podcast, Interdependent Study is meant to be a space and community for folks who believe in and want to do the work for social justice. Each week, we'll bring something new to the table and discuss our thoughts and feelings about it through the lenses of who we are and where we can go for a more just society. We want interdependent study to be a space where we're always learning with one another. And Damien is up this week to kick us off, so what are you bringing to the table? All right. Well, Aaron, I've brought three different articles to the table today. Um, They are all about anti-racism, and they discuss that by specifically highlighting and addressing the notion of whiteness and quote-unquote niceness. Mm. Um, I mentioned this when I previewed this topic in our last episode, but, you know, Aaron and I have had a number of conversations about this, about sort of quote-unquote nice white folks, often well-intentioned white folks, and and the harm that can be done by nice white people if their words and actions aren't in alignment with Mm anti-racism. And so we wanted to talk about all of this on the show somehow, and I proposed that we do that by using a few articles. Um, And I I should definitely acknowledge that all three of these pieces are a little bit older, uh, but I think they provide context and a good base for us to talk about this topic. So The first article is on Medium. It's from 2018, and it's by L. Dowd, and it's called White Niceness as the Enemy of Black Liberation. Mm -hmm. The second is a 2019 article on The Guardian's website by Robin D'Angelo called White People Assume Niceness is the Answer to Racial Inequality. It's not. And the final article is featured on Psychology Today's website, it's by Lori Essick from 2016, and it's called White Like Me, Nice Like Me. Um, and so, like I said, we're excited to talk about this today, and I'm actually going to kick it over to you, Aaron. What mm-hmm. stood out to you? Where should we start? Yeah. Um, well, these three pieces, I think, are um, great, and they have a slightly different approach to the same topic, Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I think. So, you know, the piece by L. Dowd is based in a in Christianity a bit mm-hmm. um, and uses some of that worldview to inform how nice whiteness is a false idol, right. uh, which she, she says in the, in the article. Um, and that's an interesting perspective to me to see because I'm not Christian. Yep. Um, and so it feels important to me for some Christians to start claiming this. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've seen a little bit of that... Um, through some like social media interaction of, of some sort of radical Christians sort of reclaiming that kind of title, Um, not title, but worldview, right. Um, of liberation, um, in that space. Um, and then, so then moving on the, the piece by Robin D'Angelo is reflective of a lot of her other work that I've read. I Mm -hmm. think, um, she highlights how niceness is actually something that perpetuates racism in its own way. Um, and then, um, the piece by Lori Essig names the same kind of thing, but in a different way where she's giving some more personal anecdotes. Mm-hmm. Um, and she calls on us to actually have confession time. Yes. Right? Um, and naming the ways that she's participated in racism, but also asking us um, as white people who are talking about racism. Um, so I say us, you know, really talking about me, um, <laughs> but how we've participated in racism and what are our, um, sort of stories around race uh, right. and confessing to that in a way, um, which confessing also feels connected to the, to the piece by L Dowd in terms of the Christianity yeah, in a way. Sure, yeah. um, but um, 
Yeah, I I feel like it would be good to give each of these pieces their own attention in our conversation. Okay. Um, so do you want to start with a piece by Lori Essig? Yeah, sure. Cool. You know, I, actually, I think a common thread and point that was actually made in all three articles and is at the core of this idea of whiteness and niceness is that nice white people are central to white supremacy existing as is and remaining in place. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's a huge statement to say and for us to grapple with as a society. And I know we talk a lot about it here on the show, uh, but I, th- I think it's true. Mm-hmm. Um, in in Lori Essex's piece in Psychology Today, I think she really wasted no time or yeah. words getting to the point about the dangers of being a quote unquote nice white person. Um, I should mention that Lori is a sociologist and professor um, who teaches Um, gender, sexuality, and feminist studies, and and critical race theory. And in her article, she says that all white people live in a system of white supremacy, benefit Mm -hmm. from that system, and keep that system in place. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you just mentioned this, but that's often because nice white people struggle to fess up to their own racism and their own racist thoughts and behaviors. And, And she goes on to say, I think, how it's hard for nice white people to admit to what she calls that ugly truth. And yeah. and I think that really gets to the core of the struggle of a lot of nice white folks, right? Uh, yeah, definitely. Uh, and this reminds me of our conversation last week um, where we talked about We Still Here by Mark Lamont Hill. Oh, yeah, right? yeah. And so he, he talks about in one of the sections, it's easier to accept the comfortable lie than the uncomfortable truth mm. um, for white people. Um, but... You know, niceness loves comfort, <laughs> loves it. Yes. Um, so I also saw that as a theme throughout all these articles. Um, but the way that Lori Essig names it is powerful um, because I think uh, she makes us point the problem at ourselves. Yeah. Um, right. She says that the paradox of being white like me and nice like me um, or sorry, she says that that's the paradox of being white like me and nice like me. My niceness is embedded in the lie that um, whiteness is capable of cleansing itself of white supremacy, past and present. It's far easier to pretend that my whiteness is nice than admit the ugly truth that to be white like me is just as sullied with the lies of white supremacy as those other white people, mm-hmm. the ones yelling racist things in diners or cheering on a racist candidate. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, I think it's so easy for us as people um, to see the quote unquote problem over there with those white people mm-hmm. yes. um, then, and then chastising them for that and that behavior rather than taking a look at ourselves and how we're participating and benefiting from from whiteness and, and racism. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think that was the one of one of the most powerful parts, you know, how Lori hammers the idea of whiteness and niceness home in a way that is undeniable to see and acknowledge. Mm -hmm. Um, And I I think about, uh, given the past four years we've had in this country, right? I think about that a lot in the context of what we've just gone through. Um, I think, I don't think that quote unquote nice white people can continue to say anymore that it's happening over there with those folks. Yeah. For sure. and, you know, that's all closely related, if I can transition us, I think mm-hmm. uh, that's all closely related to what Robin D'Angelo says in her piece. Robin, of course, is the author of White Fragility, yeah. and she talks at length in her article about 
how most white people see themselves as not racist, but they knowingly and unknowingly continue to perpetuate racist outcomes in and for our society. Um, so that that's real. We see that, yeah. right? And so, you know, I'm curious to know sort of what you got from Robin's article. Yeah, I think um, I highlighted a lot in the <laughs> Robin D'Angelo piece. Um, she talks a lot um about different characteristics of whiteness and niceness, like mm-hmm. uh, intention versus impact, um, you know, being mean and seeing um, racism as, as pe- individual people being mean. Yep. Um, right. Uh, so therefore whiteness is sort of the balm of that. Cause mm-hmm. if you're, if you're nice, you're not mean. Right. And, um, and then, she, but she also talks about white segregation mm-hmm. um, that, that white people f- opt into frequently. Um, and the, the white people smile that, um, Uh that, uh, is a phenomenon as well. Um, there, there's a lot in there and I think it, um, you know, I think we could spend a lot of time just talking about those, those pieces I just named for sure. There's a lot in that. Um, but one of the you know, clearly many things that stood out to me, um, though, is this quote where she says, if I cannot tell you what it means to be white, I cannot understand what it means not to be white. I will be unable to bear witness to, much less affirm, an alternate racial experience. I will lack the critical thinking and skills to navigate racial tensions in constructive ways. Mm. Right. I think white people in general, we don't know how to talk about how our lives have been shaped by race. Mm-hmm. Um, and part of that is because it's definitely not nice to mention race yeah, um, and racism. Um, right. And so uh, it's really not nice to, to think about that for ourselves, right? How our lives have been shaped by race. Yeah. The other thing I sort of think about as you say that is, um, the connection to that to something I've talked about before on the on the podcast is is the connections of that to other folks' humanity, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Sort of and how that plays, right? If I can't think about uh, what you said, if I cannot tell you what it means to be white, right? I can't understand uh, what it means not to be white. And so, it, you know, I think there's a clear connection there to um, how white folks are connecting with, for example, my humanity, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so... Lastly, there was Elle Dowd's piece, mm-hmm. and she really brings it all home for me uh, in, in, in her piece. And I guess I should mention that Elle is a faith leader who's engaged in anti-racist work. Um, she really dives into niceness, I think, most directly out of all three of our authors. Mm-hmm. And she connects all of the dots here and describes the dangers of niceness. And, yep. and I really love what she says about it. She says that niceness is all about convenience comfort and control and to me it's become crystal clear especially over these past few years even as recently as this month of january oh i guess last month we're in february i'm Mm -hmm. losing my mind uh but you know what we've seen happen uh but also if you just do some critical thinking and analysis about it that control is a cornerstone of white supremacy right 100 (laughs) percent. yeah uh control is definitely a cornerstone of white supremacy. I think white supremacy culture controls white people um, very subtly um, and black indigenous and other people of color brutally. Mm, Right. Um, And I say subtly for white people because it 
uh, you know, quote unquote, trains white people to enforce that brutality in some ways, yeah. um, or to be nice and right. to create yeah. that 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 di- that dynamic. Um, so this concept of white of niceness is a hundred percent tied. One of the pieces of that foundation of control as part of white supremacy. Right. Um, and D'Angelo talks about white solidarity and white silence, which are different sides of the same coin. Yes. Um, I think about how white people are controlled by white supremacy. Um, you know, we're not supposed to, as white people, name race. Um, I said I said it earlier, it's not nice to yeah. talk about race. Right. Um, right. But Dowd is a bit more direct about this, right, mm-hmm. in my view. I think you you've said that. Um, she names that niceness is about convenience, and our comfort and control, right? So we can't be disrupted, right? It's not nice mm-hmm. to be disrupted. So yeah. uh, you think about protests, right? Like the protests and disruptions are not nice, right? Like shutting down a highway is not nice mm. because it's a disruption to the regular way that we're supposed to do things. Yep. Um, which is is whiteness. Right? <laughs> um, so she goes on to say specifically. When our black siblings are crying out, Black Lives Matter, we continue to make human sacrifices to the altar of our bloodthirsty God of niceness, mm. caring more about our own comfort and security than about children dying in the streets. Wow. Which I feel like so many white people are doing, um, right? We're, we're connecting discomfort and this disruption as not nice. Um, and if it's not nice, then it's perceived, if it's not nice and, and uncomfortable, then it's perceived to not be safe. And so then there's that sort of conflating what safety is mm-hmm. with, um, or what safety isn't, right? And a perceived lack of safety yeah. with, like, protests and demonstrations and things. And so, yeah. 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 No. It's a whole part of this big dynamic right absolutely it's a huge part of it it's such a good point and yeah i mean really l didn't mince any words there right mm-hmm. the bloodthirsty god of niceness yeah my goodness all right um you know and we've certainly talked a lot about the black lives matter movement and the notion of black lives matter in previous episodes so i just love that ellie connected white niceness to it mm-hmm. um and and really i think pushes and challenges white folks to think about the dangers of white niceness as it relates to liberation yeah absolutely i just to pull out another quote from her piece okay uh we say we value niceness but what we really value is being in charge of what that looks like mm-hmm. and when it's appropriate by our own standards right we value control that's there what she is. says there it is um, yeah she also asks us to consider what is actually nice and who are the people who get to decide what niceness is, which for me is connected to um, particularly, I think, in educational spaces, these calls for civility and for us to be more civil mm, with one another. Yeah, um, yeah. Right. And thinking about, well, who defines what civil is? Right. Because if if we're if we're going to create this concept of civility and it's going to be founded in whiteness Mm -hmm. and whiteness says that it's not nice to talk about race, then talking about race then becomes uncivil in a way. Yes. Right. Um, And so I think um, some of these reactions are knee jerk. Let's just be nice to each other, Ah, which, um, you know, I can, 
I can say really nice things to you that are found in a hundred percent racism, you sure right? Can. Like, I and I can say them in this like nice gentle tone, tone with my nice white smile, mm-hmm. my eye contact, yeah. Um, and you know, that just as L points out, it gets in the way of actually reckoning with these issues in an honest way. Exactly. Yeah, that's such a that's a great point. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think another thing for me that came up in these articles that I think is important, uh, to talk about in, in the context of this conversation is white people and, and specifically nice white people's, uh, conceptualization of racism. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, we're, we're talking a lot about Elle here. I'm going to continue to talk about Elle Dalt's article in it. She, I think identifies how most white people live in a lot of unexamined privilege. Mm-hmm. And and again, I want to acknowledge that this piece is from 2018 and a lot has happened since then. Uh, though, you know, we've also had 400 years of examples of racism. So there's that. Right. Uh, but I, I know that a lot of white folks have done work to examine their privilege, given all that's happened in our country, especially in uh, these past few years. But but back to the point, uh, you know, she talks about how most white people live in a lot of unexamined privilege, as I said, and because they don't experience systemic racial discrimination firsthand, it's hard to reconcile it when it's exposed to them. It's difficult to grapple with the idea that our institutions and our systems are inherently racist. It's hard to acknowledge the ways in which our workplaces are racist. It's difficult to see and understand how this world treats non-white folks and often outright hates non-white folks. Um, and, And I think when we're talking about all of this and when we're talking about racism, it all relates back to how in our society, whiteness is centered. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we've we've certainly talked a lot about white supremacy today and, and in past episodes, but I, you know, I also just wanted to sort of name and highlight what she says about whiteness being centered in our society. Yeah, yeah. And I think about too, um, sort of connecting back to some previous episodes, we think about disposability too, mm. right? Like, yes. um, I think that's another piece of that. That's a good connection. Yeah. Um, thought about the world is how the world views um, black and indigenous and other people of color as disposable in many mm-hmm. ways. And I think that 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 is also connected to sort of what you say there about um, like outright hate yep. um, for non-white folks. So, um, yeah. Um, and then thinking about the ways that whiteness is centered, I, one of my favorite metaphors to use to highlight that fact um, is that white people are fish who are swimming in water, but they don't know that it's water. um, And the water is whiteness. Yeah. Like, um, (laughs) so it's surrounding us. It's, it's in us. It's everywhere. Um, It's sustaining us in some way. um, But we don't know that it's, it is what it is. Right. Like we we don't recognize that Um, it is whiteness. Um, and we've developed a, a bit of a tolerance for the water, right? Mm. It affects us, but mostly we're fine. Mm-hmm. Um, but that same water is toxic and poisoning black, indigenous, and other people of color. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I think whiteness is everywhere. Um, it's fully centered in our culture. Um, it's influencing us right now as we yep. have this conversation. Right. Yep. Even though, you know, we've both done... Um, 
work uh, independently and interdependently mm-hmm. um, to develop a relationship to try to, um, you know, for lack of a better term here, get past that or, yeah. or try to minimize the influence in our relationship based on that, right? Yes. Too. So that's, um, you know, and even though we've done that work, it's still influencing how we operate um, together in the, in this podcast and in our relationship out the, outside the podcast too. Yeah. Okay. All right. With the metaphor. I like it. I've, I haven't heard that one. You've never told me that one before. So I'm hearing it here first too, folks. I like it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, we've, we've been talking a lot about whiteness and niceness and I want to shift gears a bit, uh, and talk about black people. Surprise, surprise. Uh, and and specifically, I think I want to talk about black people's interactions with and reactions to this idea of white niceness. Mm-hmm. Um, in in D'Angelo's article, she talks about the workplace. And I'm I'm going to be real. That part really resonated. I feel mm-hmm. like we could record a whole podcast episode of just my personal stories around this. Um, but, you know, to, to bring the article into it, Robin talks about all of the workshops she's done with companies and and how she's seen sort of firsthand how white folks have been dumbfounded, I think is the word she used, when their black colleagues, and I would expand that to include their colleagues of color, um, share stories about the racism and microaggressions and discrimination they've experienced. And she talks about how their white niceness can often turn to white defensiveness in scenarios in scenarios when they're confronted by that, right? Like this idea that, oh my goodness, right? Like it's, you've confronted me by this thing or you're, we're in these workshops and you're telling me something and you're looking right at me as you tell me this story about this uh, racist thing that happened or this microaggression. It, it must be me. It could, but it couldn't be me. Um, I, I've, I've seen that happen. Um, and the other thing she, I think she talks about is sort of the manifestations of white niceness and, and how black people react to and, and navigate that. And again, Aaron, uh, whoo, you know, mm-hmm. how much time do we have? Uh, you know, you take whatever time you need. It's, this is, this is a digital recording. It's not on tape. So we, we have, uh, not infinite time, but we got plenty of time. I love it. All right. Well then, you know, I would say for, for me, over the course of my career, I, I can tell you stories about how I've experienced being the only black person in the room and at the table, mm-hmm. how I've experienced being asked to speak for all black people, mm-hmm. how I've experienced times where my ideas have been attributed to and or just outright taken by white coworkers, um, uh, what, how I've experienced microaggressions and, and subtle to blatant racism from quote unquote nice white folks in the workplace um, and and how I've experienced gaslighting throughout my career. And, you know, I love that sort of the term gaslighting uh, has become more uh, ubiquitous, right, and is yeah. out there more because I think it's something that, you know, I, I didn't have uh, the language for it and the terminology for um, up until a few years ago. And, you know, I think all of that, unfortunately, is not unique to me. You know, if you're listening right now and you work with and have black coworkers and coworkers of color and coworkers who hold marginalized identities, and my goodness, I hope you do, uh, they have stories as well. Um, and I think what can be so difficult about these situations, and, and this has certainly been the case for me from time to time, especially when I was younger um, or sort of early on in my career, um, but it's difficult for lots of black folks for a variety of reasons. You know, what can be so difficult about these situations when it comes is when it comes from 
well-intentioned or nice white folks. You know, when it's perpetuated by nice white people, when it's supported by nice white people, when it's not addressed by nice white people who are often the ones in leadership, who are often the ones in positions of power in our organizations. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, like you said earlier, when it comes from, you know, folks who are looking at you, making eye contact with that smile, right? Um, and then you layer all of that with, well, you know, I still have to work with these people and I, I have to just figure out a way to navigate through and around it, right? That's tough. Um, and But that's the experience of so many of us. And, and you know, I'd say, I'd go a step further to say that's only me talking about the workplace. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's not me talking about the experiences outside of the workplace in everyday life. So, you know, yeah, it's it's tough. And, and I appreciate that this concept was named in that article. And and I just wanted to sort of name it and talk about it a little bit here. Yeah, it's terrible. Mm-hmm. I think uh, it's another thing. Uh, it, we've talked about the, the additional um, things or, or weight yeah. um, that black, indigenous and other people of color have to carry. And, and this is another one of those. Yeah, that labor, have. right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's so easy for white folks to fall back into this, like, oh, that's not what I meant, mm-hmm. um, or whatever other story that they might be telling themselves about what it is that has happened, um, which goes back to centering whiteness. Um, like, you know, I think if it's if that's not what you meant, fine. Right. You need to deal with that. And like, w- you know, when I'm participating in something and, and being... Um, called out or called in whatever um for that i think that's that's something that like i have to deal with too is like oh well crap that's not at all what i meant and i need to figure out like how to move forward from that personally it's not the responsibility of the other person who's calling me out here absolutely um, to help me do that um at all but um you know the focus should be on how it is that i um, or someone else has impacted that other person and they're telling you that Right. Um, that's that's how you find out. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's an extra consciousness that and care that that you have to carry mm-hmm. um, so that you don't step on the niceness of other people and, and you know, um, I guess inadvertently call it out in some other way. Right. That you, you don't mm-hmm. you also don't intend to do because you don't right, like it's not <laughs> necessarily something that you're like looking to do in this moment. Right. Um, because of. Uh, how it might um, land on them and what power they might have over you to, there you go. Right. Yeah. Like to um, retaliate in some way. Right. Um, yeah. And so I think about, right. Like Robin D'Angelo talks about and gives a lot of examples of workshops that she does and, and the work that she does in workplaces. Yep. Um, and so that just makes me think of like, you know, our, our workplaces, um, not just ours, but almost all yep. <laughs> across um, the the U.S. at least, we'll do a bunch of diversity days, <laughs> right, um, and not get to any actual issues. But I feel like they did get to some issues, but really they didn't. Um, and then just carry on with the same old stuff. Yeah. <laughs> you know, okay, if I could bring a moment of light here. When you said diversity days, my very first thought was The Office. And y'all know I watched The Office. I was hella late to the party. Uh, But I'm just reminded of, and I cringed through that whole episode around diversity days, diversity Mm -hmm. day. Uh, Because you're right, right? Like, and and, and it was cringeworthy. 
but it was the perfect example of that, right? That yeah, it's a sort of, you check it off, you did it, right? We mm-hmm. did Diversity Day. We didn't really we didn't really do any real work, right? We didn't do a damn thing actually, uh, but we can check it off. Um, but I think the other, as I was listening to you, I appreciate what you, sh- what you shared there um, about sort of being called out and called in, right? And as a, as a white person, right? Like mm. this idea, and, and I'm, I hope sort of our fellow white listeners hear that sort of what you said around that, like what it means to be called out and called in and um, what you need to do in that moment and in right. those moments sort of immediately and then the work that has to happen afterwards. So I, I just wanted to say I appreciate you sharing that. Yeah. Um, so, you know, folks, as always, we like to have a conversation during the show about potential application of the media on the table. And um, I guess I'll go first since I'm talking. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I think one potential application of this media and our conversation today is hopefully that it inspires folks to do a critical analysis around this idea of whiteness and niceness and the, I guess, the ways in which we can actively address and combat racism. You know, and, and given the topic today, this application work is certainly targeted toward white folks. Um, you know, I think some of the action work that Robin D'Angelo suggests at the end of her piece sort of get to my point here. Um, she says, and I'm quoting here, We can begin by acknowledging ourselves as racial beings with a particular and limited perspective on race. Mm -hmm. We can attempt to understand the racial realities of people of color through authentic interaction rather than through media or through unequal relationships. We can insist that racism be discussed in our workplaces and a professed commitment to racial equality or excuse me, equity be demonstrated by actual outcomes. We can get involved in organizations working for racial justice. These efforts require that we continually challenge our own socialization and investments in racism and put what we profess to value into actual practice of our lives. This takes courage and niceness without strategic and intentional anti-racist action is not courageous. Yes. You know, and I should say, certainly, I think there's application of this for black folks and folks of color as well. You know, I'm reminded of our conversation back, I think in episode two on healing movements. Yeah. I, I think it's so important for folks who look like me to see and name the trauma that they experience, whatever it is from nice white folks um, and do what they need to do to try to heal from it. And there's certainly more I could say about that. Um, we've been talking for a little while here. Uh, I would say if you haven't listened to episode two of our podcast, I definitely encourage you to go do that for sure. Yes, I think so much of these articles apply to, um, I guess, racial interactions, mm-hmm. uh, I'll say. Um, you know, D'Angelo names the ways that I mentioned earlier. White people opt into segregated lives in their neighborhoods, workplaces, and more. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that, you know, because uh, they see a person of color here or there um, or talk to them at the water cooler, at the office, um, that, you know, there's a belief that they're not racist or not participating in racism. Right. Um, right. And I, I think that that's, that's something to sort of think about. Um, but also, you know, so many companies and institutions released anti-racism statements and said black lives matter in the oh, summer of 2020. They sure did. Yeah. Um, but then didn't do any real analysis of themselves. Um, and I think niceness is one of the reasons why they didn't do it. Mm. Right. Niceness avoids confrontation and conflict. 
right? And I, you alluded to that earlier. Like, it's not nice to have conflict according to this white niceness. Right. Um, and so doing some actual self-critique about how our, our workplaces and institutions are racist is a lot of open conflict uh, and a lot to actually handle and, and do work around. Absolutely. Yeah, that's good. All right. Um, all right. So transitioning us to talk about homework. Sorry, folks. You know, we always have homework here. Uh, I think some potential homework for folks out there could be tied to some of the personal stories from Lori in her piece, Lori Essig in her piece. Um, she shares how she grew up in the 70s and 80s and the things, quote unquote, nice white people said back then about black people. Uh, they were pretty horrific. Um, and how obviously since then, nice white folks have learned and those types of things aren't said anymore. Uh, you know, well, I would argue they aren't said for the most part, but sure, you know, for nice white folks, they aren't um, said as much anymore. And and that's obviously a good thing. And I think demonstrates the power of what we talk about here in our podcast around learning and unlearning work. And that's part of the reason why we're doing this podcast. We want to encourage folks to engage in this learning and unlearning work because it helps all of us to learn about the experiences of others, especially mm -hmm. folks with marginalized identities, and hopefully work to make our individual interactions up to our culture and institutions and systems and policies better and and more just for, for all of us. Yeah. Some self-analysis, I think, is part of what I... Uh, connect to on yeah. this homework okay right yeah. I think um, I think these next few questions I'm gonna pose are specifically for um, you know my fellow white folks um, so keep that in mind but what are your personal experiences with race how can you respond to D'Angelo's question about how race has shaped your life how many actual relationships do you have with black indigenous and other people of color and why is that mm. um and then i think for everyone it's thinking about how niceness limits our ability to develop actual relationships mm. okay um i think you know uh in almost all of the pieces niceness is tied to this sort of shallow um behavior yeah um that's not actually tied into like you know kindness or empathy um and so it feels like it influences a lot of our culture in the U.S. Um, and so I, you know, what does it look like to replace niceness with compassion or kindness or empathy um, in how we view each other and work with each other? Um, and I think that's also connected to, right, like individuality and how yeah. influential us seeing ourselves as individuals with individual rights um, rather than responsibility to a community or to a broader society um, is also tied up into this. So, yeah. Absolutely. I like that. Yeah. And especially this idea of uh, niceness sort of scratching the surface maybe of um, yeah. and, and not being truly what we need um, as you refer to of like compassion and, and kindness and empathy and, and my goodness, what that might do for, the development of real relationships with other yeah. folks. I, I appreciate that. Um, all right. Well, Aaron, you are up next week. What are you bringing to the table in our next episode? Well, in the vein of impolite or not nice conversations, <laughs> okay. 
Let's talk about reparations next week. All right, let's do it. Um, so I'm bringing an article by the Pulitzer Prize winning writer, Nicole Hannah-Jones, called What is Owed? Uh, it was published back in June 2020, uh, and it outlines that if we're ever going to arrive at true justice and equality, uh, then we need to finally take seriously what is owed uh, to black Americans. All right. That sounds great. You know, y'all know we are fans of Nicole Hannah-Jones here, so uh, I'm really looking forward to it. Thanks, Aaron. So with that, we want to thank you for joining us and listening to Interdependent Study. We also have a couple of announcements. The first is we have merch. Uh, We have a few items in our merch store, including T-shirts, hoodies, joggers, and coffee mugs, which is really exciting. Uh, We will put a link to our merch store on our website and in our bio on social. And we'd love for you to check it out and buy some interdependent study gear. You can, of course, you can follow us on social media at InterStudyPod, and our website is interdependentstudy.com. We also want to hear from you, so leave us a message with a question or comment. Our podcast host platform, Anchor, has a feature for you to send us an audio message. So you can check out that link in the podcast description here. We'll also link it in our social media accounts and on our website, too. Um, You can also, uh, if you want to you know, be a little less fancy. You can send us an email directly with a question or comment. Um, we do hope to use these questions and comments as the foundation for a whole episode in the coming weeks. Um, and also, please let us know if you have media you want us to discuss on the podcast. We're open to um, hearing ideas on that as well. Um, and so I mentioned email before, but you can email us at hello at interdependentstudy.com. So that's it for our announcements. Perfect. And, you know, with that, you know what we want you to do. Please subscribe, leave a review, share our podcast, talk to us, and, of course, follow us on social media. Yes. And thank you for listening. Remember, it's not about us, but it is about us. And we'll talk to you next week. Mm